Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. My name is Jack Stone. I'm here with Brian Chavez. How you doing? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, everybody. I want to thank you for coming back to a super, super awesome and special episode of the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. Um, really, really excited to, to show you what we have going on. We have a special guest today, don't we, Jack? Oh, yeah. We got a very yeah. special guest today. Absolutely. And, and, and a lot of you guys out there are going to actually probably recognize our guests that we have today. Um, and uh, the reason why I just want to kind of go over a little bit of background, this is, this is going to be a great show for us because one of the reasons why, you know, when I started this podcast in the past, um, you know, I, I have a pseudoscience background and, and I just had a, a passion about how cannabis was positively affecting my life and how I could see it positively affect everybody else's life. Um, the problem, though, was is that there wasn't a lot of great research out there at the time, you know, that I was finding to be able to um, to really take my cannabis research, you know, and, and, and really, you know, expose it to the world, I guess, and, and lay it out to the world, I guess, it's a better way to put it. Um, so, you know, I, I actually, Jack, I don't know if I've ever, ever told you this story, but I actually one day I went online. And uh, I just started, you know, doing a bunch of research on more technical questions uh, of cannabis. And it's, it's really funny because I, I don't know if, if, uh, if he remembers this, but um, I actually ended up on a website called Cora. I, I think recently there's been new um, uh, questions and answers on there as well. And, and Michael Backus actually was answering a ton of questions on Cora at the time. And uh, while that was happening, um, I, I was just getting drawn into all of these answers. And I, I was thinking to myself, who is this guy that is just so knowledgeable in cannabis? And so then later, I ended up getting a, a medical cannabis card. And uh, when I was there, I saw a book called Cannabis Pharmacy, this book right here. And I saw who the author was. And I couldn't believe my eyes that it was the same guy that I was following online on Quora. And so um, I just want to go ahead and, and uh, let everybody know that today uh, we have the, the man who we've been referencing cannabis pharmacy from for, for months now yep. on the show. Michael Backus uh, is, has joined our show. Uh, lots of accolades, author of best-selling book, Cannabis Pharmacy, co-founded the first evidence-based medical can cannabis collective in California. He was awarded the first three patents on cannabis granted by the U.S. Patent Office, served as a founding member of the National Cannabis Industry Association, and we'll get to this a little bit later, he's a Hollywood scientist. So <laughs> Michael Backus, we want to thank you for joining today. Welcome to the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I, I love Hollywood scientists because that kind of underscores how fake it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like the old thing I play a doctor on TV. So. Yeah, and, and, and if you don't, can you elaborate a little bit on that? If I, I actually wasn't planning to talk about that right now, but just I guess since you mentioned that a tad. Um, a lot of people, I think, that are listening to us, and this is one part of what we'll get into, you know, not so much cannabis, but this is a super interesting part that you do uh, as far as your career. Can you go into a little bit about what a um, Hollywood scientist does for the movie scene? Well, it's not really Hollywood, Hollywood scientist. I think often yeah. I'm referred to as a conceptual designer. What I do is I work with the writers, ah, okay. work yeah. with the writers on uh, some movies. Uh, I did this for years. Don't do it much anymore. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I work with the writers to update the technology, um, for example, for Marvel, you know, they were they were taking the Spider-Man comic books, which were written way, way back in the day yeah. and had villains that had technology that back in the day seemed kind of cutting edge. But you look at the comic books today, the science is often a little creaky. It's not aged well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, uh, for example, like in Spider-Man 2, um, I came up with the idea of, of how 
uh, Dr. Octopus would control these robotic arms that he'd had attached to himself. And, uh, and I provided the, the kind of pseudo-logical underpinnings to explain what he did and how it could go wrong. And um, awesome. yeah, and, and actually got a paycheck for it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so freaking cool. Dr. Octopus awesome. is one of the coolest Spider-Man villains. And you did an amazing job. That, was, that movie, was it's one of the best Marvel or superhero movies, in my opinion. It's just the, in the mechanics well, that, well, of his arms. Wow. That's Sam. That's Sam Raimi too. He's yeah, fantastic. of course. Totally. Yeah. He's just super, super, super talented. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a little tiny contribution to um, Sam Raimi's massive contribution. Of course. So cool. Yeah, that's it's it's yeah. Making sure we're doing all that is is important. Making sure we're in time. I I, was, I think of Back to the Future and how I don't know if you 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 watched that movie, but 2015 they had that date from the future mm-hmm. back in the 1980s and they're filming it, and then everyone watched it on that date and they're like not even close to what the future was going to be. <laughs> right, same, with Blade, <laughs> same with Blade Runner too. I mean, Blade Runner, yeah, so. yeah, right, right. However, the Matrix really seemed to to maybe I mean, they didn't get it right, but they the the concept there is still kind of current. I think it's a kind of neat concept. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a guy. There's a guy at, at, at I think he's at University of Oxford, Nick mm-hmm. Bostrom, who wrote this really compelling paper that sets out the kind of philosophical logic for why we are in a computer simulation. And, yeah, uh, and it's one of those papers that you read it, and it's like, whoa. It's very Descartes, is, if I if I remember. It's very similar. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Steve. <laughs> now jack do you have any questions on that i'm just curious yeah no i i mean the the roles that they had you as systems consultant scientific uh consultant display graphic supervisor these are all the things i, I looked into about you and like so it sounds like all those are kind of like that similar role that you were saying is like a movie scientist well yeah i mean really what it is is that it is that a long time ago yeah i recognized that small computers had a place in film production and so I got really, really into how small computers could be used mm-hmm. to assist film production. But then beyond that, I kind of started to learn a lot more about technology and I started screenwriting and everything kind of came into this, like, you know, when you're like, you're hungry and you're looking in the refrigerator and you yeah. decide, huh, Swiss cheese, <laughs> tomatoes, peanut butter, what can I make? Yeah. yeah. Well, I did that with a career. So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's true. Wow. Yeah, no, you did, and and uh, and and with that, I mean, that's just one part of it too. Um, I, I'd like to obviously like change gears and and talk about the cannabis pharmacy as well because mm-hmm. I think that is, for me, anyways, is uh, been super influential for a lot of people um, around the world. And and Michael, I, I just um, am curious. Can you just, I guess, to start. Uh, just kind of go over what maybe drove you to to write the book and maybe who the audience is really, in your opinion, designed for. And and I have my opinions, but I just would love to hear it from yourself. I mean, really, it's it was a funny story because what happened with cannabis pharmacy was um, some um, book packagers in London, people who put together book deals and take them to publishing companies. Um, they had approached one of my best friends, Richard Metzger, who uh, – uh, has a website called Dangerous Minds, mm-hmm. and uh, Richard owned a company called Disinformation, and uh, they were a big counterculture force um, in the 90s. And um, 
So what happened was they approached him about writing a book about cannabis. And then, and then you want my friend Michael Baptist. You talk to him. He's, he's running a dispensary in town. It's kind of science-based and he really knows the topic. And for me, I mean, I was just kind of the ultimate pot snob. I was super, super picky about cannabis. That's why I started the dispensary. And, but more importantly, I, I really wanted to find out what made great cannabis. Like what, like what were the objective considerations yeah. in deciding that this was good and this was great? Mm-hmm. And, and then when I started a dispensary, I mean, at first, I think I was doing more storytelling than science. Yeah. Because I was like the guy who would who'd make, you know, you know how you go to a restaurant and you see a recipe or you go into a wine store and you'll see little, little handwritten signs on every wine that says, oh, this is a, this has, you know, fresh fruit and pepper yeah. and, and, you know, jackboots. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to convey a somewhat subjective experience, experience in a way that's appealing. Well, I did that with the menu at my dispensary. Um, but at, at some point when testing started to come online in California, I got obsessed with test results. Like, okay, so what terpenes are in it? And I'd read Ethan Russo's paper about, about taming THC with terpenes and how these other compounds in the plant could affect the, the, the euphoria and intoxic, mm-hmm. intoxicating effects of cannabis. And, um, and so, yeah, that led me to basically just go down the rabbit hole and start to read research papers and learn how to read research papers and mm-hmm. glean information from research papers that I could compare to other research papers and synthesize how to explain what was happening in cannabis products to people who were consuming them. And so wow. at first, I was just working on training staff at my dispensary. But when I got approached by the folks who'd approached Richard Metzger, I, I said, okay, well, maybe I should write this book. And they had the mm-hmm. title and everything. I didn't name the book. It was like, oh, really? And it was really funny, was I was always kind of, oh, it, the title always graded on me because it's not really a pharmacy <laughs> book. I mean, it's a, it's a book. It's a practical guide to cannabis and yeah. it has sections on how to use it for symptoms and conditions uh, based on the current evidence. But often that evidence is rather thin. So mm-hmm. it takes kind of a leap of faith to say it's going to, you know, address all 60 of those conditions or whatever finally ended up in the book. And, um, yeah. but the point was I wanted to kind of collate everything I'd learned and use this as an excuse to learn more. And so the first edition was me just trying to basically learn how to write a book and, mm. and, and bring all this information together. The second edition allowed me to refine it a lot more, dig a little bit deeper in the stories of well, where did OG Kush come from, and all these things. And, um, and then add terpenes. Like, in other words, each of the, each of the uh, varieties in the book has its dominant terpenes up the top. Yeah. And, um, and that's going to get, more refined in the next edition. So the idea is basically just answer my own questions. Yeah. And, and as it turned out, it had appeal. So. Yeah, that's so interesting. So this is really, so it was genuinely just a book that, that was really just, it was work for yourself where you're having these questions and you wanted to answer them and you're trying to find the answers. And as you're, and as I guess research of cannabis like moves along the spectrum, you know, of the future, then we're going to start getting new information on cannabis. You're probably 
the new edition is going to have new information that you're going to want to put in there and you may have a second third fourth fifth edition all that good stuff yeah and, and let me tell you it's it's a very 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 fast moving train um yeah floodgates have just started to open on canvas research i mean there's still a long way to go um mm-hmm. you know, it's very very little information out there objective information about uh, terpene effects and, mm-hmm. and and it's really funny you can see how bad the information is about terpenes out there if you look at anybody's like list of terpene effects in cannabis, you know, they'll start out with antifungal. Well, the truth is, I don't see people like slathering OG Kush on their athlete's foot. Okay. <laughs> it's not happen and the right. truth is, is that you're not really taking it for its antifungal effects. The, the reason the antifungal effects there are the plant evolved those compounds to keep fungi from attacking them. Okay. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and that shows you how bad, the, I mean, how weak the research is. Mm-hmm. And we don't, it's not talking about human effects. It's not talking about neurological effects. Uh, in some cases, it's extrapolated, but they're probably mm-hmm. um, But yeah, so, uh, and that really led me, and that's what led me, that research on terpenes is what led me to start my new company. So the reason Perfect exists yeah. is it's leveraging my current understanding of entourage effects in cannabis and i'm really trying to control the variables so that i can create products with very distinct effects and that's my goal in cannabis whether it's working in a dispensary writing a book or starting a company i'm trying to predict outcomes yeah because you hear this nonsense all the time from people which is this idea that everybody's different you know, right. everybody's a special snowflake and your feeling of OG Kush is going to be different than so-and-so's feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, truth is, we're not that different. We may be different in how our experience with cannabis has actually modified our bodies to mm-hmm. experience cannabis. And that what happens is if you use a lot of cannabis, what happens is your body reacts by down-regulating your CB1 receptor. And what happens there is it takes, you develop tolerance, the effects. And what's fascinating about that is, is that that's the biggest variable. How much experience Hmm. do you have with cannabis? But the actual response is much, much more consistent than a lot of people would admit. What the problem is, the products vary too much. So Hmm. you'll buy a jar of train wreck and take it home, smoke it, and oh my God, you just have a great time. And then you go buy another jar of crane wreck, and it's different. And the reason is it wasn't stored properly, it wasn't cultivated properly. There are a lot of different factors that go into the differences between cannabis. But the main difference is the products vary. People don't vary that much. And and is it, I'm just curious, because wouldn't it be hard to standardize plant to plant? I mean, because it's a natural living plant, that just grows different. Like, isn't it hard to stand? Like, completely standardized. Exactly. Make it exact? so, so exactly. So yeah. I was, you know, I was involved in this big cannabis breeding project that was awarded some patents. And the reason that I kind of left that behind um, mm-hmm. was one, I, I had to go finish the second edition of my book, and two, <laughs> um, breeding is really slow. And so if mm-hmm. you want to, and, and, and it's highly limited by the genes in the plant that's yeah. itself. So the thing is, is that it's hard to breed a, uh, breed a pl- uh, plant that contains both uh, terpenaline and lemonade. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
because that's it's bound by genetics and mm -hmm. just can't do it. But if I formulate the flowers, if I take blends and put them together, just like what's done in almost all natural products, where you buy a blend of coffee, you drink a blend of scotch. It's not a, even mm -hmm. single, even single malt scotch yeah. is actually blended from different single malts, just the same single malt. And the reason mm -hmm. is that allows you to blend Johnny Walker so it tastes like Johnny Walker every time, or a single malt like the Macallan, where you want it to taste like the Macallan and it has a certain spec. Well, the problem mm -hmm. is there aren't a lot of specs in cannabis. And I just looked at that as a big opportunity mm. or I could create a product yeah. that was the same every time you bought it and you could rely on it to do what it says it's going to do. And, and that's what I like about your products. You have, uh, it looks like you have three different lines you're going to have, correct? Uh, one yeah. for nighttime and one that's happy camper. Happy yep. camper is basically happy camper was inspired by a train wreck called plane wreck which has basically huh. disappeared from California. I think it's still available in Colorado, but it huh. was the epitome of giggle weed. Where really? when you, when uh, you inhaled yeah. it, everything was absurd and funny. And <laughs> yep. um, yeah, and it was just great. It's just a great mood elevator. And honestly, what? these days, we could use it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking that myself. What terpene would that be, that you, main terpene for that one, would you say? It's, it's, actually, it's actually leveraging it's leveraging a bunch of them okay mm. um uh leading with terpinoline terpinoline is associated with the old thai genetics um you know like thai stick from back in the day um yeah uh jack herrera mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these varieties that have this boost but the thing is is often these individual like jack herrera is great but jack herrera has a tendency to crash so what happens yeah. is you go up but you come down and and the yeah, thing you can, that, yeah. So when I'm blending and formulating our, vari our varieties, what I'm trying to do is actually reduce some of the things I don't like about individual varieties of cannabis and accentuate the aspects that I really do like. And, um, mm -hmm. and it's working out really well. It's taken an enormous amount of trial and error. I mean, it's, it's really wild. I mean, and, I, and my, staff, my staff is like, okay, I'm running in going, okay, try this. <laughs> I did that for months and months and months until finally it was like, no, 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 no. I want that last one. I want that last one you did. And then when that, that information started to cluster yeah. in our group of about 80 to 100 people who were trying our products, started to go, no, that's doing it. It's perfect. Like that picked me up. I can work on it. I can focus. Yeah. Don't forget what I'm doing. So, so you have controls. Yeah. That, right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is we literally just created a spec so that these terpenes show up in this amount every single drop. Yeah. And we enforce awesome. what's called a cold chain. Cold chain is super common in produce. Um, and what happens is, is that it just means that from the time it's harvested to the time it gets to the consumer, it's cold. Mm -hmm. And what that does is that slows the process of um, degradation in the product. It keeps the product fresh. Mm -hmm. um, my mm -hmm. contention is there's an enormous amount of spoiled cannabis product in dispensaries today, and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. so, because what they're yeah. only 
what they're what they're focusing on is the initial test result. They're not the test result after 60 days in a hot warehouse. Right. And, and right. so a, right. a, a lot of these products that are inhaled, I'm mainly talking about inhaled cannabis products. Um, they, they are significantly different than their spec when it gets to the person who's buying it, which is one of the reasons that people have no trust whatsoever for dispensaries. They want to look at it. They want to smell it. I mean, they and, and you don't walk into a wine store and say, "Okay, open that bottle. I want to smell that." Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, right. pour that up. No, I want to see that color up against the light. All right. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason is is that most dispensaries haven't gone very far to really gain trust because there's so much variation in their product, and we control one of those variables simply by keeping our products cold. And by the way, I mean, if, if you're using cannabis flowers, you should keep them cold. Like in the fridge, and you like look, in at, the look, look at the date, look at the date on the package and keep them cold. I mean, get the freshest yeah. stuff and keep it cold and you'll get closer to the experience that the cultivator has when they're in the cure shed. And, wow. and, and so, so over time, um, that will change because there's degradation within like the terpene content or yeah. cannabinoids. Yeah. Yeah, so I did a test a few years ago. Uh, a guy I was working with, who's a chemist, did a test at uh, his lab in uh, D.C., uh, where he took a high myrcene cannabis flower, uh, dry, and let it sit out at room temperature for 45 days and tested it. And it had lost 40, uh, almost 50% of its myrcene. Um, wow. Monoterpenes, the, the lightest essential oil huh. produced by cannabis, are much more delicate than anybody's telling you. Wow, and I didn't know because, that. And because of that, that's why you really want to keep your stuff cold. And, and so, and we've all noticed this: mm-hmm. as cannabis loses its smell, its effect becomes generic. Mm. Okay, and it becomes an all, basically an all THC effect. Um, mm-hmm. and, or, or an all-THC and beta-caryophylline effect because beta-caryophylline is the cockroach of terpenes. It's impossible to kill it. And so uh, beta-caryophylline <laughs> yeah, really. will be there forever. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's huh. why it's really funny. Back in the day when like Panama Red and Colombian Gold and stuff were being smuggled in the United States, yeah. they had a reputation for having this peppery smell. Well, yep. that's beta-caryophylline. And mm-hmm. that's because it was the only thing that survives smuggling besides THC. Wow. I didn't, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's good for like inflammation, like that specific, like. Yeah, actually, right. actually, beta-caryophylline works on cannabinoid. It, um, yeah. it interacts with the CB2 receptor, one of the cannabinoid receptors, and it's a yeah. potent anti-inflammatory. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's awesome. I, I did not know that. That's so interesting. Um, makes sense. You would know that. <laughs> I, I wonder. <laughs> All right. Uh, Michael, I wanted to ask you, um, we're on terpenes for a second. I, I just, I've had this question that's always been running in my head and I just, you're probably the best person to even ask this. Uh, so like the strongest and most, the best way to get the bioavailability from the terpenes that you're looking for is through vaping or smoking is my understanding. What happens though, when you do sublinguals or you do edible, do you lose the effect of the, the, the terpene experience? Does it get broken down? And if so, can I take an edible 
with just, I guess, 10 milligrams of THC, for example, and just add terpenes through vapor to create a different experience in that case. I'm just super yeah, curious. Uh, about yeah, that. yeah. You're, you'll definitely notice that. So if you do this combo of, of oral THC and then you wait for it to undergo liver mm -hmm. metabolism into 11-hydroxy THC, which mm -hmm. is a drug that's why edibles feel differently. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you supplement with terpenes. Yeah, you should notice a, a head change. Um, a cause that's so cool. I mean, the truth is, You'll notice a head change if you just withheld the terpenes. So having, mm -hmm. having worked with terpenes now, as far as um, high terpene extracts, which is what we use to formulate our products. So mm -hmm. what that is, is basically sauce. Um, I'll roll this back a little bit to talk a little bit about manufacturing. So, so when we make our products, what we do is we, we harvest um, a portion of the crop and send it to the drying shed, just like regular flour. But we also take a portion of that crop and we instantly flash freeze it and flash mm -hmm. freeze it really cold so that there's not much molecular change in the plant material because there's not much molecular motion in the plant. Mm -hmm. So then, and then mm -hmm. we extract it at minus 120 degrees and, and then we get a crude oil and then we let the THCA crystallize in that oil slowly over mm -hmm. time and then we mm -hmm. centrifuge out the diamonds the thca diamonds and keep the high terpene extract and then i combine high terpene extracts and sauce flowers with them and that's that's the basics of our product the one thing wow. that we also do that's kind of special is we leverage something that the plant uses to help keep those lighter terpenes around so it helps us keep our light, lighter terpenes around in our mm -hmm. product um so Back to your question about terpenes and inhalation. 350 million years ago, there was a war between plants and animals for domination mm. of terpenes. And plants evolved compounds to control animal slash insect nervous systems. And wow. that are these, these are the terpenes. But they were, they were basically mm -hmm. defense chemicals. They were defense chemicals to keep fungus from establishing itself on the plant from animals from eating it, or to attract insects to help the plant pollinate, et cetera, et cetera. All flowering plants produce terpenes, and they're, they basically were involved as, as defense chemicals, but also maybe to attract pollinators. Well, as we evolved, we evolved the ability to destroy those compounds before they got to our brains. So, but, yeah. Inhalation cir mm -hmm. short circuits that and allows that stuff to get into our bloodstream and get to wow. our brain. And yeah. that's why some of these terpenes are uh, euphoric, intoxicating, yada, yada, yada. Okay? But our understanding of them individually is still relatively incomplete. And what I try to do in our products is take my best understanding based on experience and formulate products that have actual outcomes. Because in California, at least, we've noticed an enormous amount of BS about around effects-based cannabis, okay? Mm. Where somebody will name their, their product, you know, absolutely out of control joy. But there's no, <laughs> there's no real pharmacological underpinning of that. And so what I'm trying to do is actually leverage the actual pharmacological knowledge and also yeah. hypotheses I have about how some of these compounds work. 
so yeah, to me, inhaling, my, my favorite way to use cannabis these days is a flower vaporizer. So what I use is I use, I, made, I made my own product in one of the stores in Bickle and Mighty's um, because it mm -hmm. has precise temperature control. And yeah. there's research coming out from um, Portland State University, a group there, um, that has learned that high temperatures and terpenes not a good thing because hmm. it, it breaks terpenes down into what are best characterized as potent toxic atmospheric pollutants which means high temperature dabbing is dumb i mean really oh, wow okay? interesting and so yeah. the idea of low temperature dabs down below 400 degrees is really really smart now it may not give you the huge clouds but it's not going to cause the lung damage that that directly inhaling these atmospheric pollutants is going to do. Wow. And that's super interesting. Um, and what like temperature, I'm just curious, since you, cause I have a vaporizer also, and I've heard different now, would you, I'm just curious, do you adjust the temperature of the vaporization based on the experience you want and what terpenes you want released? Is that how you do no, no, no. See, see, there's, there's no? the misnomer. There's a misnomer. Okay. What yeah. it is, you have to look at vaporing as smoking, in extreme slow motion. So different things come off at different times at a specific temperature. So mm -hmm. what I'm looking at is I'm mm -hmm. looking at vaping at 392. And then as I build experience with the flower product, then I start to get a sense of what's coming off at what time. So most people who vaporize, they get impatient. And so what happens mm -hmm. is, is that terpenes have flavor. Cannabinoids have no taste whatsoever, maybe a slight bitterness, okay? Mm -hmm. So what happens is often people who use flower vaporizers, they, they just do it until the floral taste disappears and they think they're done. They're not. They're leaving an enormous amount of cannabinoids still on the plant. Mm. Remember when you used to hear that people would take stuff from their vape and cook with it afterwards? Yeah, yeah. Well, the only reason they can do that is they're inefficiently vaporizing the flowers. If they've efficient, efficiently vaporized the material, there's nothing left to cook in. Yeah. Okay. Right. So the point is, is that you just have to go low and slow. I use 392 as my temperature because yeah. uh, Arno, Arno Hazekamp uh, in Holland um, actually did a study to show what the most effective temperature was. And, and, uh, but it's always going to be a slow process. It's not going to be fast unless you jack the heat. If you jack the heat, you're going to break down the terpenes and expose yourself to stuff. Right. To which you do not want to expose yourself. Like carcinogens and all that, right? Is what yeah, you end up well, exposing some yourself are carcinogenic, to. But more importantly, yeah. they're going to really irritate lung tissue. Mm. I mean, the other thing is you sense. can overdo terpenes. I mean, a lot of these extracts that like, you know, they, they say 16% terpenes by weight. That's too strong. And the reason is, is hmm. that things like lemonine, all right? Lemonine yeah. is used as an engine degreaser. <laughs> wow. Okay. You don't really want to be inhaling a no. lot of lemonine at high concentrations. I mean, a little tiny bit, like, you know, yeah. less than 1% by weight. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, you want to take that up to 4 or 5%? No, you don't. It's not good for you. Yeah. Okay? And that's why I know a yeah. lot of people who used to dab who don't dab anymore, simply because they were doing too much high concentration terpene inhalation and it hurt their lungs.
Good I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Yeah. What, what is, uh, Michael, what, do you have a favorite terpene like yourself? Do you, the one that you prefer or is it situational? No, it's not situational as much as it is. Um, I like combinations. Mm. So like the plant very rarely produces terpenaline and lemonine together, but boy, mm. I love them together. So yeah. the ones that I make that have both of those together, it just makes life more enjoyable. It's really great. Yeah. No, it's, that's, uh, I, 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 it all depends on the situation for me, obviously, I guess I could think that's the case for a lot of people, but, um, I like the terpenaline and, uh, Jack career effect, but it's really interesting because I get that crash. Yeah. You're right about that. It, it's, uh, you, you mentioned that a second ago. So it was interesting. Yeah. So. so, so I think I've learned how to fix the, the crash, but I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing. <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask you, come on. Yeah. That's my, right. Jack career is my favorite. Uh, so. yeah, yeah. It's like, um, yeah. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, you're gonna have to. I, you're gonna have to, I, I um, you have to learn that on the court. I'm not gonna teach you. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I will say this. One of the things I wanted to ask you, though, I thought was kind of interesting. Um, it's related to that too, and and my take on it, um, like cannabis hangovers, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think it's a thing, uh, for sure. Nothing like an alcohol hangover, in my opinion. Um, but uh, my take typically to to just reduce that, and I get that question a lot. Like, I don't want to smoke because it gives me a hangover typically I'll say, well, are you adding any CBD to your mix? And, and that, in my opinion, has always been something that's reduced the hangover. Um, I just am curious what your thoughts may be for our listeners. Cause I we've mean, had some of those questions. Using it at well. the same time, THC and CBD together, it works to some degree like a seatbelt against some of the effects of THC, mm-hmm. uh, some of the effects we don't really like about THC, but also, I mean, because it's a, it's kind of competitive to some degree. Um, even though it's probably binding, the CBD is binding to a different site on the CB1 receptor, that's the current thinking, than THC. Um, mm-hmm. What happens is, is that CBD changes the shape of the receptor and therefore response and the outcome mm. of THC binding to the receptor. Um, my favorite way to do it basically is I take, I separate my CBD use from my THC use. And what I do mm. is I take, I take CBD in the morning if I'm going to take it more than that, I'll take it morning and early afternoon, but I won't mm-hmm. take it after early afternoon. And the reason is, is that there's some evidence that CBD potentially interferes with how uh, our circadian genes work, our body mm-hmm. clock works. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of people say, oh, I take CBD for sleep. You're actually not taking it to sleep. You're taking it to reduce your anxiety so you can sleep. Okay. Yep. CBD is good yep. tamping down anxiety. But the research is, is that CBD is mildly wake-promoting, so mm-hmm. that kind of increases you to be awake. Now, that's different than be stimulated like caffeine. Mm-hmm. But the reason I use right. CBD and during the day is, is that just I don't get as sleepy. I don't want to take a nap as much. And it seems to protect me from a lot of THC side effects. But again, I'm, taking, I'm also taking very small doses of CBD relatively speaking and the question is what are the doses of cbd right i was just gonna ask you, just gonna ask you yeah so and the answer to that is they're probably taking too little but they don't really need for most people to take more okay so effectively even a 20 milligram dose of cbd may turn out to be effectively a micro dose of cbd because almost all the clinical studies 
of CBD these days are being conducted at huge doses, like 600 milligrams. Mm. I mean, 600 milligrams, that's an expensive huge. CBD dose. I mean, yeah. There are a lot of bottles of, there are bottles, whole bottles yeah. of CBD tincture out there that don't contain 600 milligrams. No. And you're yeah. not going to drink a $50 bottle of CBD no to get a clinically effective dose. But these microdoses seem to move the needle for a lot of people, seem to reduce anxiety, seem to reduce THC side effects. So I think it's a really useful compound. But I don't always like it at the same time as THC because it, it has a tendency to make this, the euphoria fuzzier. Mm. And I like the kind mm. of sharp, pointy side to THC, provided that I've balanced it with terpenes. I use That's terpenes to, I use all these things to modify the effect of one another. It's like trying yeah. to, it's like, in, like inviting cage fighters to dinner. Yeah. Like you want to yeah. make sure that you've got the right balance yeah. so nobody throws the gravy at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And, and so I, I think I get what you're saying there because it seems like like when I, when I think about it, like when I take CBD and THC together and I do all kinds of, you know, like, like little side projects on the weekend, figuring out what combinations I like or not like. And yeah, I find that when, you know, obviously when you use CBD and THC together, that experience is of, of the THC euphoria and, and the better parts of what you like of the THC is dull the tad. Right. Um, and that may be, and, and I, you're right. Like if, if I am trying to focus and if I, you know, um, utilize Jack Herrera, then if I have a lot of CBD in the mix, I'm not going to get that sharp focus for that intense, like quick amount of time as I typically would I find if I combine it with CBD. Um, I never thought about it that way though. That's really interesting that, but it's true I, for sure. The way that that works. I mean, all this stuff is a cage match in your brain. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you're, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a symphony that sounds good. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and, mm-hmm. and that's why I kind of left I mean, I love cannabis cultivation, but I'm not a cultivator. But mm-hmm. I admire the art so much. Yeah. Um, and now my admiration for extractors has gone way up because I've spent time mm-hmm. now deep, deep, deep into extraction and what can be extracted and what can't be and how to protect it. I mean, yeah. That's my business these days. My business is to find what I like in cannabis and figure out a way to protect it long enough to get it inside of me or my customers. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's game. Awesome. And so few people are focused on that. I mean, you mm-hmm. walk in, you walk into most dispensaries and it's like, you like indica? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the truth is, you know, I said that I was on this podcast with Cami Camolan and uh, uh, Frenchie Canola. And, and, you know, what I said then was indica and sativa is like trying to judge the taste of a nut from the shape of the tree. Mm. And it's the stupidest <laughs> thing ever. You know. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. Like, like there's some sativas out there that actually make me a little relaxed. And there's indicas that give me a little pep. You know what yeah. I mean? In other words, so. they're going by the shape of the leaf. I mean, seriously. Yeah. It's, right, it, right. It, that's, that isn't science. That's fortune telling, okay? That's like looking at tea leaves in the bottom of your cup going, you're going to be a banker. I mean, it's just (laughs) nonsense. It's like looking at the leaves of the cannabis plant saying, you will be euphoric and energetic. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I mean, the truth is, given the education that, that a lot of dispensaries provide to their staff, um, should we be surprised? I mean, I don't think so. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, there are a lot of, what's great is a lot of people who work at dispensaries shoulder the burden of really mm-hmm. trying to figure out how cannabis is working. Now, the downside to that is they have often access, frankly, to too much cannabis. So then mm-hmm. their lens is that of a very heavy usage. And unfortunately, that does that can do a disservice to people who don't use as much or don't have access to as much. All right, mm-hmm. because that person won't be giving always the best advice. Right. Yeah, and I, and I find when I go to sometimes I'm shocked actually. I've gone to a few dispensaries and find that like they just don't know what they're the information they're providing to the consumers. And I and I can't believe that sometimes the education isn't there um, because this is something that if, I find that if you don't give a consumer the right dose or if you dose them the wrong way, they may they may have a bad experience and never come back to cannabis. And, oh, and yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, people don't do oh, it. Yeah, I was at a dispensary in Venice one time, uh, California, and. Uh, uh, you know, this nice, sweet old lady comes up to the counter and the staff member goes, oh, you want to try oral cannabis? Okay. Well, now this is a 60 milligram cookie. Okay. So just go home and, and take it. Okay. And I'm thinking to myself, is going to give somebody who's never used cannabis a 60 milligram yeah. There, she's going to be painting her house with mustard from the refrigerator. Okay, if she's if she's not totally if she's not quaking underneath the dining room table, concerned that aliens are trying to steal her brain. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I I I, uh, I, I I'm. I've seen some of these recommendations that are good and I, and I feel like you don't want to step in. Right. Cause like, so you're right. Some of the recommendations they get are just bogus. The, the you know, the things that you're hearing. Um, but it, it's important that I think, you know, we eventually get people who are actually educated, like very educated in those positions and not because cannabis is dangerous, like, you know, and it's going to kill you, but it'll exactly what you said, put you in a situation that's very uncomfortable and make you possibly make you, you know, make decisions that aren't well, going to be beneficial. It's tricky because, I mean, I don't expect the staff at the grocery store to yeah. tell me how to make a hollandaise sauce. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. And so, and I don't even expect the people at the wine store to know every single aspect of the wine. They may know a lot about wine and a lot more than the average cannabis uh, dispensary staff member knows about the cannabis. Some agree. I don't know. I mean, but what I do know is it's the responsibility of the people who are making the product that's sold in these dispensaries to Mm -hmm. tell the consumer Mm -hmm. how it works. It's really on them. And if you come and if the company who's making your products can't tell you that, find another company. Yeah. Okay. Because the truth is they may they may also not know some things that could impact your health. Like it's a bad mm-hmm. idea to have, you know, 18% terpenes in something you're going to inhale. Hmm. Yeah. That, I haven't heard that recommendation in a dispensary yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, for sure. Um, 
No, it's it's really important for sure. And and I guess I just you were talking about some other things kind of on topic, uh, just with cannabinoids. And one I've been hearing a lot of, and I'm just curious to kind of get your input on it, is um, CBG. And uh, that one um, is just it's it kind of seems like it's budding, like kind of like CBD did a little bit as far as popularity goes. Uh, and, and I'm learning a little bit. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I was just curious if, if maybe just on your side of it, I'm sure you know, if you can kind of give some insight. It's a, it's a decent analgesic and um, yeah, mm. and not, not, you know, it's considered a non-psychoactive cannabinoid. Mm. Um, what that actually should be described as, as a non-intoxicating cannabinoid because mm. it's psychoactive. So CBD, it's just non-intoxicating. And mm-hmm. the fact is, the evidence right now is, is that apparently in some people, CBD may be more intoxicating than we thought. Really? That's another topic for another time. Yeah, yeah but, right, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, for CBG, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the truth is a lot of people have exposure to CBG because they had skunk varieties of cannabis. And it's mm-hmm. the skunk varieties of cannabis that are often high or reasonably high in CBG. Mm-hmm. So things like uh, green crack, which is basically mm-hmm. skunk, basically skunk number yeah. one. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. According to, I was part of a group that sat down with David Watson, the guy who brought skunk number one to Holland, uh, Sam the Skunk Man, and um, and we laid out twenty five different kinds of cannabis in front of him, and said to him, which one of these is closest to skunk number one, because he'd know, and so he like sniffed and looked at all of them, and then just pulled out the green crack and said, that is skunk number one. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's amazing. That's cool. No, it's, because, uh, that, no, that's interesting. That's, um, it's definitely something I, I've been getting some questions on too, so it's interesting to, to hear that. But yeah, so and, that, and has I want, that has CBG in it. So yeah. You want a CBG effect? Yeah, the green, well, green, green crack is one of my favorites, uh, if I can get a hold of that, you know, ever. But that's that's just got a great... Like it's it has a lot of mercy in it. I think it's great, like uh, energetic effects, though. And right? awesome. And so it's one of the few varieties that you run into that has yeah. significant amount of the terpene awesomine. And uh, awesomine. And so it's awesomine and myrcene together that make mm-hmm. the little skunk number one party. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's for sure a fun one. Um, and Michael, I, I wanted to I just this is a show about misconceptions. Yeah. Um, and cannabis and, and all that good stuff. Um, and we know that there's a few misconceptions on cannabis, not too many, but, <laughs> but I wanted to get uh, your input on what your take would be possibly on like the biggest misconception that you typically come across when you're talking to people. Um, and, and what like your vision, like what you would like to see and what you think may be happening in the next like 10, 20 years with cannabis. I'm just curious. Just so I'll ask a few questions on the show. Yeah, sure. So the biggest misconception is, is one we've already covered to some degree, which is um, CBD is good for sleep. I mean, that one's super common. Mm. Yeah, it's good for sleep until it's not. So what will happen mm-hmm. is, you know, when your anxiety gets handled, all of a sudden CBD has you staring at the ceiling at 2 o'clock in the morning. All right? I've had that experience. Right. Many people have had that experience. And, um, mm-hmm. and so – Understanding that CBD is a little is really kind of a daytime experience for most people is uh, dispels one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, Got it. Other misconceptions, well, indica sativa, obviously. I mean, that one's just yeah. Ridiculous. And then, um, oh, I mean, the biggest misconception in cannabis, period, by far, 
is is potency equals effect. Okay, so everybody mm. goes in. Remember, yeah. see, most places label, if they label their cannabis, they label it by its THC content. So you walk in and consumers tend towards the highest THC product. The problem mm -hmm. with that is that there's the misconception that THC equals effect. When in fact, I could pick a 30% THC variety, uh, which typically don't produce much in the way of terpenes because Rafi Mashulam, the guy who discovered THC, he talks about the stinginess of the plant. Meaning mm. that the plant, when, it dedicated, when its genes have been manipulated through breeding mm -hmm. to produce high THC, loses the ability to produce high amounts of terpenes. So it's a trade mm. because again, the plan is, is ah. limited. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because these are biosynthetic pathways. And, and the thing is, if you put all of the energy resources towards THC, you have fewer for terpenes. So the biggest misconception, what people should be looking for is high terpene, reasonable THC content, because that's going to provide the richest experience. All right. Mm. THC by itself it's like a bass solo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. really like, you know, the bass solo starts at the, at the concert. I head <laughs> out for a beer. Okay. And so, and so the thing is, is that richer entourages is what we should be looking for. And yeah. we should demand that stores prove it. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. You're saying that this has high terpene content. Let me see the certificate. Let me see the lab yeah. results. The COA, right? The yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed. It's funny you say that. I've noticed that when I go to a dispensary and there's 80, 70, 80, 90 percent uh, THC, I've you uh, said we got the ninety percent concentrates, and I also get the seventy percent as well. And um, I find that, and I actually, I, 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 Jack, I think I mentioned this to you actually that because I, I think it was lower. Uh, cannabinoids and higher terpene content in that that lower THC percentage. When I actually did feel like I had better effects from that that cart, yeah, there's no um, question because of that. And that's actually, yeah, you want, yeah. yeah, you want a symphony. You don't want a solo instrument. Okay. And the thing right. is, is that what I'm finding is, the more complex the symphony, and the more distinguishable it is from another product's symphony, it's mm -hmm. a difference between Mozart and Beethoven, you know, or Mozart and Tchaikovsky. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. different experience. Mm -hmm. And I want differentiation in my cannabis experience that comes from rich entourages, not from somebody who can just prove they can grow, you know, a 34% THCA plant. That's kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I think it's almost like when you when people start drinking, you know, in, in college, you're like beer and wine and shots and everything. And, and when you start with cannabis, I think a lot of people go that route. THC, that's what I want. And, and, and it's not even they start there. And a lot of times I feel like a lot of my friends have been using cannabis for years, just started there and ended there. And they never really educated. I think that's a big thing. Yeah, but I mean, there are probably people out there who continue like doing Jaeger shots right. in their 50s. Yeah, 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 right. All I can say is good for them. Yeah, good <laughs> luck, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> good for them. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, just well, the, the THC tail is is kind of silly. It it just shows an incomplete understanding that we need to fix about how cannabis works. And once we've educated people, yeah. 
they'll start to appreciate that there's a lot more nuance and a lot more consistent outcome yeah. available. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do you, do you see us, I mean, the, you know, the farm bill passed and, you know, the next few years here, I mean, you know, that the CBD has been all the craze for the last year. I mean, what do you, like, are you seeing politically, like, are you seeing this starting to open up for the next five, 10 years? Or do you still think we have a ways to go? Well, I mean, we have a ways to go, but, but the, the cow's out of the barn. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. It ain't going back. I mean, unless we go full, <laughs> I mean, unless the government gets really scary, which yeah. you know, we're kind of at a tipping point for a scary government. <laughs> and, um, yeah. um, so, you know, scary governments can do scary things now, but except yeah. all of this technology, all of this knowledge, everything that's come with the liberalization of cannabis laws, it could disappear right back into the, to the underground. Okay. I yeah. mean, high taxes um, can force a lot of, very, very technologically savvy people to just do it outside of the commercial system. Okay, I mean, that's where psychedelics mm-hmm. have existed for years. And so, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of really hardcore chemistry mm-hmm. in that community. But I, I'm just concerned that if we overly regulate, then we'll end up driving a lot of talent who would make safer products in the long run to the underground where they yeah. don't have access to quality control mechanisms to make sure those are safe products. And so I think it's really important that we vote for people who are going to have sane cannabis uh, uh, policies. And I'm concerned about, you know, Joe Biden right now, because he's never been a fan of the plant, you know, so we've moved him a little bit. You're right right about that. That's my concern too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the best of two evils, I guess, but we're looking at it (laughs) as far as that's concerned. Um, I got a simple solution. Simple solution. Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. (laughs) It's like Dave Chappelle. I mean, I watched Dave Chappelle's special that dropped today. Yeah. 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 It's phenomenal. It's, it's enough. you know, you, see it. it's so you know, there would be a lot less stress in the country. I feel like maybe if Dave Chappelle was president, <laughs> <laughs> he's so I mean, it's funny. He's really, he's a very human human being. Mm-hmm. And I like that. He doesn't, he talks about his flaws. Yeah. He yeah. owns them. He talks about our flaws. Yeah. He wants us to own them. And I think that mm-hmm. that's very optimistic. And he's a fan of the plant. Which makes me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he and he likes cannabis. That's yeah, right. Well, really <laughs> well, <laughs> well, listen, Michael. I I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you're busy. I have had this has been an amazing, amazing. experience for me, Michael. I I have been waiting. Uh, when when Jack and I started the show, uh, one of our goals was to uh, to eventually someday have you on the show, and maybe we should have asked sooner. I don't know, but I'm glad to have you on uh, a few years later here, and it's super exciting to have you. Um, where can we find you? Michael, like, where, where can our viewers, like, uh, where can they go? Well, I mean, so, 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 a uh, perfect-blends.com is my company. Okay. Um, okay. We're, we're really committed to telling people what we're up to, what I'm up to. And so you really should check us out. You can follow us on Instagram at, at blends by perfect. Um, and yeah, that's, that's my mouthpiece these days. That's where I'm talking. Awesome. And um, yeah, I'll have a new edition of my book next year. That'll be out. Yeah. Um, but for now, check out Perfect because Perfect Honesty represents the absolutely best understanding of cannabis that I can muster. 
absolutely it's awesome um we'll put that in Jack, the show notes yeah we'll, we'll we'll add that in the show notes everybody uh no this great. this has been really amazing we really really appreciate your time michael this is hey it's great you guys really know i mean what's great it's nice to talk to somebody who has an informed approach to this and you guys <laughs> clearly great. do so thanks so much for having me on i really really appreciate it no not a problem at all we want to thank all the listeners out there for coming back on maybe one of the awesomest cannabis connoisseur podcast episodes we've had um if you find this episode helpful, uh, it, it, just make sure that you please share this with anyone that you you know can also find it helpful. Like it, subscribe, um, mm-hmm. share the good word. Uh, we'll be on Spotify, uh, what, iTunes, Apple Jack, iTunes. Also- yep, we're going to be on all the major platforms wherever you get podcasts and YouTube. You, this will eventually be up on YouTube too, guys. So we appreciate you. Absolutely. So we want to thank you guys again. Check us out next week. Share, subscribe, and uh, like, and we'll see you on the next one. See you guys. All right. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.